0: everyone and welcome back to Let's Get Talking for episode three of series two. Now it's been another hectic few weeks or so so I haven't posted or interacted as much as I would have liked with you all but it's still been so great to see all of you listening along to the episodes, sharing them, downloading, commenting on Instagram and so on and just enjoying the podcast. It's brilliant. Now last time out was of course Carol Baskin which was such a surreal episode to record and Release, but I just want to say a big thanks for all the great feedback um, since that episode. It's been really brilliantly well received. Um, so, a big thanks once again for all the support. Now, this episode, episode three, is one I've been really excited to release and share with you all as it features a guest that since starting the show and starting the podcast and the Instagram, I've built a great friendship with. He's featured on an Instagram Live, he took part in the 8-hour Instagram and now finally appears for a feature episode to chat about his powerful, inspiring and moving journey. Now if you know who I'm talking about, you obviously will because it's on the episode details, but make sure you do stay tuned even if you think, oh yeah, I've heard him on Instagram, I don't need to listen to him again. Pete goes into so much more detail about his story, about his time in the military, about his mental health experiences, his PTSD, his time growing up, and shares some really positive strategies for staying in a positive mindset when things get tough and when you're in those dark moments. It's a really powerful episode and one that I'm really proud of. So sit back, relax, grab whatever it is you like to drink while listening to a podcast or if you're driving, concentrate on the road and let's get talking with Pete Dowsing. Hello everyone, and here we are with episode three, and it gives me great pleasure to welcome Pete to the show. How are you doing, mate?
1: Yeah, not so bad, not so bad, bearing up, I suppose,
0: yeah. Yeah, Yeah, not too bad, thank you. Obviously, um, what the listeners won't know is that we've been planning to sort of record this for a while now. Obviously, we, we met Quite a while ago when the podcast was launched and when you were doing your great stuff with your YouTube channel and your Instagram um and we we had planned to record this just before Christmas but here we here we are on what was it the, the 5th of January and we're finally sitting down but as we said before we came on things get things get in the way and but I suppose that's a positive message to start with is that if you need a break or you need to just rearrange something because you're a bit busy or you're a bit whatever it is then then you can do that before we do get going onto your, story and your journey um which some people might know a little bit of if they've seen some of the chats that we've had before or watched your stuff and um if you haven't um if you don't know Pete's story then um please stick around because it's a it's a moving story it's a powerful one and a really inspiring guy so before we start I just want to say a big thank you really mate you've been a firm supporter of the the podcast since it's happened constantly sharing and supporting um got a little bit of merchandise that i know and just you know just being a really sort of a a positive influence not only for the podcast but also with the stuff that you do as well so a big thank you for that yeah no problem at all. my pleasure legend right so as we know on um let's get talking it's all about important conversations and powerful ones and and taking people through the journey that they've been on and uh, of course as you know um a lot of young people listen to this podcast and, and some could be at the stage now of, I don't know, leaving school or leaving college or just deciding where they are, who they are and what to do. So can you take us back to sort of that early stage in your life and what school was like and growing up and, and you know, what what you sort of had in mind to do when you were at that age?
1: Well, like a, like a lot of young people, it's, you know, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, and school for me was more of a social thing than it was to do about learning um, and I you know I always attended I didn't have a problem with attending and things like that but it for me it was more about seeing my friends than it was actually learning um, towards at that time I thought do you know what I'm just gonna have a bit of a laugh with my mates rather than get stuck into learning that might see me into a career so I probably didn't take it as serious as I would probably recommend to a younger person now Obviously, you know, I teach, so I'd always recommend everyone sort of knuckles down and, you know, works hard. But school life for me was, it was just a bit of a laugh, if I'm honest. Um, I used to play a lot of football. I used to chase the girls, etc. you know, all this sort of, sort of laddish, young lad sort of stuff. Um, you know, we used to sneak off down the bottom for a crafty fag at lunch times and all that sort of stuff. So... I suppose in a way it was—it was just a social life. Um, the school was pretty good. There were some good teachers, and there were a couple of teachers that I really connected with, and they actually bought the best out of me. And I think for me, being a young lad who just wanted to mess around, really, um, there were only a couple of teachers that I connected with, and that, I think that was because they were really disciplined. We used to have a science teacher that, um, basically, he wouldn't let anybody leave until he could hear—literally—hear a pin drop. Mm. So he had a pin he used to keep in his uh, in his board and he used to drop it in front of everybody. And he would literally keep you in there as long as it needed to until he, he heard his pin drop. And, you know, obviously the methods were probably slightly different then, but I can just remember I always connected better with the ones that had a real tight sort of discipline, sort of rules, if you know what I mean, rather than, you know, a bit more friendly. I probably just used to take the mic really. Um, But I never really knew what I wanted to do all I knew was that I liked being active I liked the outdoors Um, I sort of enjoyed the police you know I watched one tv and all that sort of stuff I'd watch military films and I think oh, I'm quite fancy a bit of that um so it wasn't probably until I joined the army cadets when I was 13 that I thought oh maybe maybe I might join the army um, but again, Army Cadets for me had that bit of discipline, but it was more of a social, a social thing. It was a, a group of predominantly young lads all doing the same thing, all, all having a bit of a laugh in it together sort of thing. Um, but it did have that level of discipline, which I reacted to positively. And I actually can remember thinking as a career, I think I was probably about 16. I thought, I wouldn't mind joining the police. Um, so I went to speak to um, a friend of my dad's who was in the police force. And I said to him, what do I need to join the police? And he was like, "We well, need this, that, and the other. I thought, oh, I've, not, I've not got the grades from school. Maybe I should have knuckled down. Mm. <laughs> you that, know. Then, that uh, realisation. Like, oh. <laughs> yeah. I thought, oh, right, OK. Um, and then I just said to this, and bear in mind, I'm 16, I just said to him, what if I join the army for three years? Would that help? And he went, I don't see why not. And that was almost their realisation that, oh, if I join the army for three years, I can come out and join the police, mm. uh, which never materialised. I obviously joined the army and spent, you know, eight years in the army. And then when I left the army, I didn't want to join the police anyway. So it was, it was a bit of a strange um, sort of journey, really. Um, and now, obviously, I teach. And I never thought for a second that I'd, I'd teach anything at school. Uh, although other people recognised that I was quite good at helping and supporting people
2: mm.
1: I didn't think for a second that I would do it until uh, I sort of left the army uh, had a period without well I did work it was more of a physical sort of labouring kind of work um, money wasn't great but you know I was throwing myself into it I was having all these sort of mental health issues along, along the way which you know we previously spoke about before mm. um, and then I moved down south And stayed on my mate's couch for probably about eight weeks. Um, I'd sold a house up in Leicester. Made a good profit on it. So I was living off off the profit as such. And almost just becoming a bit of a, you know, go out and have some drinks, have some good fun. And just not really do anything. Yeah. Just sort of coast through life as such. Spent a lot of money. Um, And then I thought I need to get a job. I'm running out of money. So I saw a teaching job in uh, Chichester College down south and I got, I got the job. Um, and there were elements of the job that I thought, this is great, you know, supporting the young people, helping them with the qualifications, you know, plus the pastoral kind of things as well. Yeah. Uh, was really good. But the trouble was with me, I couldn't be in that sort of rigid, routine kind of job. I just couldn't cope with it. I was too young. Uh, And I left after about a year Um, and then became a carpenter and joined. I'd done that for a few years and then sort of eased myself back into teaching. And now obviously I teach full-time carpentry at a local college. Um, But yeah, school for me was, it was more of a fun thing, more of a social thing than it was, you know, everybody told me, my parents told me, the teachers told me, you know, you need to put the effort in to get the you know to get the rewards and i was just like yeah whatever because at that age i think you sort of think you can just sort of do what you want really mm. uh, and it you know it would just your journey would just go one way or another you don't really think about it until you probably get a little bit older and you think maybe i should have worked a little bit harder that's
0: i think don't you yeah And saying yeah. that to a lot of the students at school at the moment and i, yeah, I, a, I was a bit of the same sort of um probably from when I joined secondary up until probably like year nine, year 10, I was, I wasn't like naughty or anything. It was just, you know, having, having a laugh. And then it was that moment, I think, year 10 when you used to get those um, people come in and still like, and it was like careers, bang. And you were like, Oh my yeah. God, what am I going to do? I've just messed about <laughs> for three years. Um, and it's so interesting when you, when I speak to anybody, um, teachers or obviously like people like myself, like in the past, oral, I think when they were at school, they either, just had fun and messed about or were like really serious about it there was there seems to be everyone that's ended up in the um yeah. teaching usually, usually messed about at school The people that I speak to it's funny isn't yeah. it because I could never imagine obviously I teach I'm at the same school that I went to and I could never imagine if I take myself back to like year eight me thinking yeah. I'd work here one day it's crazy but like you say they're just from you explaining that you can take so many different paths and it's really important, I suppose, for people to hear that you don't have to have a, a fixed idea at the moment as well. We've got so many like year 11s and near 10s that are looking at like colleges and there's like 17 different versions of one course. And it's like, Oh my God. Um, but no, I suppose it's um, really important to, to say that.
1: Yeah.
0: I think a, m- my bad.
1: only advice yeah, would to young people would almost be like, if you haven't got a, a clue, what you want to do that's fine but almost just write down or you know say to yourself in your head what what do you enjoy
2: Mm.
1: you know are you you somebody who can read off a screen all day are you somebody who needs to use your hands do you like problem solving um do you like you know just mundane activities
2: Mm.
1: you know all Mm. these and just yeah i quite enjoy practical using my hands okay so maybe i need a practical type of course or career I like problem solving. Oh, great! Am I might, you know, civil engineering or something like that. And mm. Use those things that you you enjoy to formulate almost a bit of a plan.
0: Yeah, like you say, it's about what you enjoy. And we look back at our experience of school, and you, the best times were when you were having fun and when you were enjoying it. And the, like you said, I think there's so much pressure now, especially more than ever, to leave school or leave college or uni or whatever it is, and get a job that pays loads of money and drives the nicest car. But really, the 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 thing that's going to bring you the happiness is doing something day in and day out that you enjoy doing and getting up and going to something that you know you're going to enjoy and even that I love absolutely love my job but there's days where I'm like oh my god I don't I don't want to do it but there's more days where you know where I go in and you'll know the same thing working with young people and you'll come home you're like yeah i made a difference today or you might come home and go oh god that was dreadful but you still get up the next day and do it and I think that's the main thing is you know yeah find something that you want to do not somebody else is telling you to do if that makes sense I think
1: and I think also there's there's, there's people that I mean you you know being a teacher that you, you'll recognize things within um, students uh, that they probably don't know themselves and I think sometimes it's good for young people to actually go you know I've got somebody that I look up to it was actually saying to me, you're good with people, you're a good communicator, you're a good problem solver, you're this, that, or the other, and actually going, Oh, okay, I didn't realise. You know, and and maybe think maybe I could have something as a career within that as well, you know. And it's it's difficult. It's difficult, especially with the um sort of the pressures of social media. And like you mm-hmm. say, every mob measures success as you've got to have a well-paid job, you've got to have the car, the house, you know and the sort of social media lifestyle Mm. in reality i think is important if you can predominantly enjoy yourself at work we know being realistic it's not every day but actually if you can generally enjoy yourself at work then that's that's a good thing and you're sort of almost on the right path yeah Um, and it's not always about it's not about money and we, we know we have to pay bills and mortgages and all the rest of it but you know, I can remember recently, I, I was thinking, do I need a changing career? Do I need to go outdoors more? So I was looking at sort of National Trust jobs and, uh, you know, the Woodland Trust and the Forestry Commission types jobs because I, I know that I'd I'd love that. Um, the pay is awful. Mm.
2: Um,
1: but I'm like, it's not necessarily about the pay. It's about being in the right mental headspace. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's so important. Uh, and, and just generally trying to live a... A fulfilling happy lifestyle rather than being so stressed every single time you come home which then impacts your home life which impacts your holiday time and everything so it's it's a tricky one but I would always get down the road of what makes you actually you know sort of smile and think I enjoyed that not all the time as we know but predominantly most of the time if you can do that then I think you've you know that's success in my opinion 100% and like
0: you say it's an important message for young people and also anybody else really like like you said you can have those thoughts of a career change or or whatever it may be at any stage and if it's to do with because you're not enjoying where you are and or you want to change and a new challenge then obviously go for it um so it's really interesting actually obviously we spoke quite a lot and we've never really gone too deep into sort of your school life and things like that so that was really interesting to to hear that so um can we obviously you mentioned about the cadets and things like that can we go on to a, sort of your route into the forces and and obviously your the service uh, and the early days of thinking you know that path was for you and i suppose the experience of, of joining and going through all of the training really
1: yeah i can remember um so i was in the cadets like say 13 and i stayed in the cadets till I think i was probably a few weeks before i joined the army um and the cadets was great it was it was like a disciplined youth club in a way you know yeah. you had the uniform um you'd done things like you know parade and drill and you you know we- weapons handling and you know you went on annual camps for a week and you do all these different exercises and stuff And it it was great you met so many friends um you had a little bit of discipline as well which was you know i think some people just need that level of discipline. Anyway, I think it brings out the best in people at times. But a lot of emphasis on communication and teams. And then, like I said, I made that decision to join the army. Um, and I remember when I, I left for the army, it was very scary. Um, and I probably, I mean, i would researched all the different roles. And I didn't want to necessarily just join the army and just do anything. Um, so I decided to join the Royal Engineers which I thought at the time could offer quite a few different again different avenues to take when you're in yeah. the Royal Engineers plus you could, they could offer you trades as well uh, and that sort of thing so I thought I don't just want to go and sign up and you know be a soldier I want to be more than that what can I get out of my experience in the army that I can potentially use after that and um, so I decided on the Royal Engineers, and you know they put me through my carpentry and joinery courses. You know up to level three, they put me through my assessors award, and they put me through my track license, so you should drive the big 60-ton tanks. You know bridge layers and mine clearance. They put me through what else? They put me through uh, combat engineering class one, which was sort of like, um, you know, I've got a qualification in demolitions. Mm you know, I probably couldn't use it now on Sibby Street and go, up and blow your house up or something but <laughs> yeah,
2: it's,
1: it's given me the basic sort of knowledge and expertise in lots of different things
2: mm.
1: so it, it was, and I think that's that's another message as well for people who are thinking about a career is if you go in sort of more of a corporate sort of world private, public, whatever is you can get you know, the CPD, the, the progressive development to develop yourself more and more and more and I think especially as you get older and it doesn't matter what job you do, you can always learn a little bit more. It yeah, could then potentially steer you in a, in a different way. So the army for me was, it's something that not anybody in my family had done. So it was a bit out of the box. I mean, my granddad done a bit of national service. So it was a bit out of the box thinking. Um, and it was really weird for, for all the hard sort of the hard work and, almost the mental torment of training, if you like. There wasn't once I thought, I don't want to do this.
2: Mm.
1: You know, I need to I need to walk away. Um, it almost made me a little bit more determined to get through, you know, what it was I was sort of facing. Having said that, I don't, you know, frown upon anybody that goes, this isn't for me. Mm. Whatever job it is, whether it's you know it's at school or in college, if they say this course isn't for me, slightly probably slightly different for you guys, but with with us, if, if a carpentry course isn't for them and they say it's not for me, that's fine. Yeah, you know you don't have to do it. You are choosing to do it, so I think it's always important to not get sort of bullied into making decisions that aren't right for you as an individual. Definitely. Um, and it was difficult because none of my friends joined the army. There were lads that I thought I would have joined the army, but none of them did. Uh, There was one lad I sort of knew that he's actually still in the army, but he wasn't like a close friend. Um, So it was a completely sort of random thing, which obviously put me on a whole different path, uh, good, bad, indifferent, you know, highs, lows, all the rest of it. Um, Generally, I think it's, it's quite a good career, And there's certain aspects of it that I think need to be improved. And I'm hoping now would be better now, especially towards the mental health side of things, uh, than it was during those years that I was in. Um, But ultimately, I think, like we've said before, just what what makes you smile, what makes you happy, what do you think you're good at, and and just apply the skills and sort of make that choice for yourself, really.
0: Yeah, 100%. So obviously you went you went through the training. Which year? What year was it when you uh, joined and went through the training?
1: Uh, Ninety six.
0: Ninety six. So obviously you you went through like you said the experience of training and the highs of lows and that, and then moving on to your journey through obviously the work that we did. I think um, obviously the the Instagram live that we've we done before um, got some really great feedback about. Obviously, your experiences and, and and what you shared, and I think again, we, we'd be so grateful to hear of the work that you you did and the experiences you went, went through and like I've said countless times um on behalf of everyone, obviously a big thank you for for the service that you you put in and, and the things that you've done for everybody um in this country um so i suppose um i'll let I'll let you talk us through it and bits that you want to that you want to pull out I know there's some difficult bits in there and um so yeah let's let's just talk about that journey and how how it went I suppose over the eight years wasn't it
1: yeah over the eight years so obviously joined in 96 it's September the 1st 96 and my first sort of memory is a really vivid memory I remember uh, the train journey was a bit of a blur but I can remember when we got to the, the barracks we got put onto a, a bus um you know, and the bus is full of, of lads, young lads, 17, maybe I think the eldest was probably about 24, 25, but predominantly 17-year-old lads. And I remember looking around the bus and thinking, wow, yeah. you know, this is powerful. We're like we're all going to join the military to serve, you know, our country and our families and ourselves. This this is this is a big deal. And we're on the bus and nobody spoke. Everybody was frightened. You know, the, the fear was there. And as soon as we we had a, like a, a corporal come on the bus and say, right, uh, you know, Dow's Smith Jones, whatever you need to get off the bus. So you got off the bus and straight away you met with somebody shouting at you to, you know, go towards them and you go towards them and you're thinking, Oh my God, <laughs> you know, you're in, you're in, you're just living in fear. You just like what's going to happen. And within 30 minutes, um, the person sort of almost took the register, if you like, um, we, we we've had to empty our bags in front of us, um, all personal possessions, everything. is empty your bag, and then another corporal came around with a bin liner and basically put things that he thought you didn't need in a bin liner. Um, and we didn't get those items back. Uh, and it'd be things like um, you know somebody might have a photo of their girlfriend or parents or mm. or wh- whatever it was, straight in a bag. And it was all it was all about stripping everything that you knew just stripping all, all your character and everything away to then sort of remodel as a soldier who you were yeah who you were and your family were the people next to you that's basically what they're trying to do mm. these are your family now you do everything for them uh within two days we had our heads shaved you know we were marching around you know we had to wear these little I think it was a yellow tag on your arm, which meant you was in your first five weeks. So it was almost like when you're on camp, people would see the yellow tag and you'd almost get shouted at for being new. You know I mean? Yeah, just, just, you know what I mean. And everywhere you turned, people was just on you um, and belittling you and stripping away your character and your all those things that you've you've built up over years. Your humor, everything would just be stripped. Um, and you all dressed the same. Your lockers had to be the same. You had to make a bed block, so you had to like fold your sheets the same, you know. And it, it was just so there's loads of stories within training that I talk about on my YouTube trainer. Some of them are really funny, but at the time you're thinking this isn't particularly funny. But there's times where I, I had to parade the, uh, the mop bucket at the guardroom because it had traces of water in the bottom, so I had to like wipe all the mop kit. Mm. The the, you know arms stretched until you couldn't lift it anymore and things like that and then inspect mm. the mop bucket and if they deemed it not clean enough you'd go around the back of the room called the quadrangle and you'd be doing you know exercises until you were sweating and things like that again just stripping you right down
0: yeah just breaking you down i suppose isn't it
1: breaking you down yeah and uh, the, the reason i called my instagram page and youtube channel show me a warface because in training our first sort of field craft lesson, if you like, uh, with Corporal Hardy, we used to call him the Rottweiler, <laughs> the absolute animal. Um, he literally, I mean, you're 17 years old, you know, absolutely full of fear, you know, not really know where to look, you know, waiting to do anything that you were told to do. And you've got a corporal in your face, you know, an inch on in your face, shouting, show me your war face.
2: Mm.
1: And people are like, uh, you know, it's like little murmurs. And he's, he's shouting at you on, on the back foot. Yeah, Yeah, and I I could just remember it for the, and it sounds like a bit of a a thing out of the film. And I suppose, I think like full metal jacket and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. It reminds me of that sort of thing. But I can remember doing it. And I look back on it now, it's quite funny, really, because you're just seeing these young lads just screaming in the corporal's face. And he's like, Yeah, good lads, you know, that's (laughs) what it's all about. Show that aggression. And you're just thinking,
2: What's what's going going
1: on? on? (laughs) Yeah. Um, And then we went on to second phase training, which was more about the craft of the Royal Engineers. So you didn't do things like, you know, uh, bridge, bridging, um, water supply, demolitions, uh, mine clearance. Um, We had to booby trap a house, which is obviously illegal now, Mm. um, which was kind of really good. Actually, again, I talked about about one of my YouTube episodes and, all those different experiences and all that training all that investment that they put into you and the knowledge that you'd got from that um and then your first posting which for me was to germany in hamel and almost the reset button so you've gone through training first phase second phase you're thinking i'm proud as punch you know i'm a soldier first and foremost but i've got all these other skills as well you know i've not got these yellow tags red tags on my shoulder anymore i'm I'm a fully pledged soldier and then you go in your first day, you arrive at camp you're walking around the camp, you haven't got a clue where you're going knocking on doors saying Sapa Dow's in you know, I'm here to see somebody and what's your name? You know, and you're like oh my god, uh, Sapa no, you're not with us. go to the next squadron you know, you're just getting passed around it's like back to
0: square one, yeah, yeah
1: and you're like, it, it's like day one again and then you have to prove yourself then to the group of people within that troop you know are you a good worker are you one of the lads?
2: Mm. you
1: know which again brings a whole host of sort of mental health issues because you're doing things that you probably shouldn't be getting involved in because it's, it's intimidating you know there's bullying and things like that mm. and it's you're going out of your comfort zone of, and you're testing your morals but we were always sort of told even through training was just go with it because soon as you challenge it, and this is bizarre because I'll, 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 this goes against all of my morals now. But at the time, you were a young lad and you're very impressionable, and you're having to question your morals, and they were like, just go with that. And you're like, I don't agree with it. The trouble was, if you disagree with it and you stood your ground, the intimidation and the bullying and the harassment would happen. Yeah. So it wasn't till probably. Four, say three or four years into my military career that I actually felt in a position I could say, that's wrong. You know, and and I'm not doing that and you should not do it either.
2: Mm.
1: You're out of order. This needs to stop. And that was met with quite a lot of, um, you know, confrontation. But I was like, "I'm, I'm, I'm not just sort of, I'm not taking this anymore. This is enough. No, when you see young lads, who, so again, we're in, we're in all everyone's position that are coming in that are shy and timid and all the rest of it, almost just being bullied and harassed, it's not on. Um, I would like to think that sort of way of thinking has changed a little bit now, but I would imagine it probably still goes on in some regiments. Um, but again, it's, it, it questions things. And the scary thing is, is everyone always say what well, it's character building. You know, it toughens you up. You know, it's going to make you a better soldier. And you're like, why, why? Yeah. You know, when I'm out on operations to, you know, Kosovo, Iraq, uh, Poland, there were a lot of kids just walking around. You know, I need to make sure that I'm approachable, and you know, I'm, I'm there for support. I'm there to help them. But you're telling me that I've got to harass and bully a young lad. It doesn't make sense. Mm. You know. So. Like I say, there was a lot, lots of sort of red flags that that cropped up, but you're always told, be thick-skinned, get on with it. You know, the whole sort of laddish culture of you don't talk about it, you just get on with it.
0: Yeah, just crack on.
1: And don't worry about it, because in a couple of months' time, there'll be another new lad, and then you can do the same to him. And you're like, you know, this just isn't right. So the good thing is when I challenged it, other people started to challenge it. And then actually as a group, we grew stronger because we'd support the people that needed support. And we'd be supported by people that had strength in other areas. So it became more of a, a community, a stronger group. Yeah. And I think that needs to happen a lot more in, in lots of different areas, is we need to support each other and we need to be a community and we need to communicate a lot more than we do, really. hundred um, percent. And I think when we start to see those improvements, Things just start to come a bit easier for everybody, you know, and a little bit more enjoyable for everybody. Mm. And I think it's the number one for me, this communication. It's probably my number one thing. And I I learned a lot about that in the military, rightly and wrongly, but also as I've got older, I think it's a you know a real powerful thing, communication. Um so anyway, I can remember my I, I done my training in the military. Um I went on my first my first exercise was in Canada, again i had to prove myself because I was in I got put attached to another troop, so i had to prove my worth again. Um, can't, this was going on for like ages. I went to yeah. Canada, Canada I had to prove myself because I was in attached to a new troop. And then as soon as I got back from Canada, I went to Poland with a different troop. So I kept feeling like i got to prove myself all the time, starting again
0: every time. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, but to be fair, it, it, it was good for me because, you know, I got to meet a squadron worth of people and they could see my sort of work ethic and character and everything else. Um, and then obviously my first tour in Kosovo, 99. Uh, so obviously I'd been in the army three years then, uh, just shy of three years at the time, was a huge impact on me. Um, obviously, basic training, and the mindset shift was a huge impact, on a lot of the stories that are connected with that. But one of the big impacts, mental health wise, and probably PTSD wise, uh, was certainly attached to Kosovo. Um, you know, and you you read the stories. You know, we see it now on the news, and you see things. You know, where you know kids are wandering around without families. That was Kosovo.
2: Mm.
1: You know, uh, you know, men were murdered. And a village of kids you know and oh God, I think we spoke about it before we were building a school in Kosovo and there was a little boy there that used to turn up on site and uh, we almost sort of said to him here's some money, go and buy some Snickers some chocolate and the first day he came back and he bought us 10 chocolate bars and we always gave him one mm. and he loved it but he didn't speak, he never spoke uh, and it weren't till like a period of time with we were working on this school um, in pretty sort of horrific conditions. It was like minus 20-odd, and it was, it was horrible. But everybody's cold. Everyone's sort of moaning, it's cold, and, oh, this, that, and the other. And then a few weeks into it, you realise that this lad didn't have a mum, or didn't have a dad,
2: because
1: mm. the, they were murdered in front of it. And then you started sort of thinking, how is this possible? And then you start finding out that the whole village didn't have mums, didn't have dads, didn't have granddads because they were killed. And you're like, oh, we're moaning that we're a bit cold. Yeah, Do you know what I mean? And uh, that was Kosovo. And it, that was everywhere. We had villages, it would just be young girls. Uh, all the adult women had been taken away. You know, all, all, the, all the able men would either support, you know, the people that were taking them to do you know work or they were killed you know and 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 that was Kosovo, and it was everywhere you went there wasn't there were times that you look back on and you sort of think you 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 feel proud to have helped these kids but one of the thing that i really struggle with and I still stuff. i mean i feel emotional talking about now is um when you come away from that you feel responsible
2: yeah
1: because you're you're there to help them with their basic human needs and now you just you've gone away
2: Mm.
1: so so what are they doing are they roaming the streets for scraps again you know i should be there and i should be helping Uh, and that you know i get i I can have some really low low moments at random times really random times and you, you just think you know, these kids have nothing. And when I can remember when I came back from Kosovo, we had a bit of leave. And I can remember going in town. I can remember just feeling so angry that I was seeing people. At that time, I'm thinking, you know, you've got clothes on your back, you're in McDonald's, you've got a phone, you've got this, that, and the other. Yeah. And I just couldn't... In, in my head, I was so blinkered that I was like, you've got everything there. And there's kids, you know, walking around in, in pants with... No food, no parents, nothing, literally nothing. and it's it's a big, it's a big struggle, and it, it, it's something about I mean you know sort of dealing with sometimes it's more frequent than others, but mm. it depends what time of year it is as well, and my experiences at my work and you know my you know my brother's got kids and things like that and or you can have a random moment where you'd be teaching, and all of a sudden you just feel emotional mm. because it creeps in. And, and, and iraq was a bit like that as well um, but kosovo was classed as peacekeeping as such um which i suppose it was but there was a lot of a lot of things that happened in kosovo where you think i mean there was grenade attacks going on around where we were building and stuff so there was st- there's still there was still conflict there uh, iraq was classed as a war um which it was. So there was a lot more explosions and bangs and this, that, and not going on around Kosovo. And you, uh, not sorry, Iraq, not Kosovo. <laughs> Iraq was the first time that I'd been to a country and saw uh, mines, anti personnel and anti tank mines just on roads and in fields. You know, I've got a photo where we were picking up sort of artillery shells, you know, sort of this big. And I'm, I'm just sat with them, about 80 of them that were just found on the side of the roads. You know, there were munitions and explosives and, you know, tanks and anti-aircraft guns just scattered around on on the streets. Uh, Again, there were a lot of families that had, you know, sort of been killed or split. But the difference between Kosovo and Iraq is you could clearly see the impact on the kids, as in you'd see kids with, you know, that had lost limbs and things like that because of you know, the mines in the field. And that was really hard to deal with. Um, and it's just scary. I can remember once this farmer in a field, he had this big tray, like, wooden bowl. He was in, on his land. He's got anti-tank mines literally around the edge of his field. There's uh, T-65 tanks around the edge of his field, and he's trying to, like, harvest the crops. Yeah. And the Americans have dropped... The Americans, what they used to do is put over a missile, the missile would explode in midair, and it would spread all these little light munitions. So they're only really probably about four inches long. And the idea was it would stop people going into the area. So it just stops, it prevents the enemy, if you like, moving forward without putting themselves in danger. So they're all scattered in this field. And a lot of them will actually go off on impact, or they'll go off in the air. But probably 10% of them don't. So he was literally picking them up out of his field. And he was coming towards us and, and he was like, you know, shouting at us, you know, my kids are in my in, playing in my field. I've got these little explosive things in the field. It's putting my my kids at risk. So we basically had to stop and sort of, you know, get the rifles pointed at him and sort of said, put them down. And and that that was a rack. It, it just like it's like war was still present. And sort of the uh, the impact of war was everywhere, you know. And it that was the difference between the two. Um, it just it just heartbreaking. But amongst all of the heartbreak and and the trauma, was some moments that were just so overwhelming. You know, kids kids coming up to and you, you know, you would give them some water out of the bottle, and and just you know, they're in tears, they've never had bottled water, clean water, mm. you know, you give them a bit of chocolate, and, and they're, again, you know, just, they've never tasted chocolate, you know, and the, and the, the pure gratitude that they're showing in you they give them real basic things that we see as basic things.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Just completely not overwhelming, and, and just, you know, moments amongst all the dust and the dirt and the, you know, war with these little snippets of of, of light, um, and it's really powerful and really moving. Uh, and sometimes you don't always remember those things, though. You sort of your your mind wanders to
2: yeah, of course
1: the tough things. You know what I mean? But it, it certainly it, it changes you as as a human being. It, it it puts things in perspective. It makes you value things in different ways. Sometimes it doesn't make you a nice person either because with me you almost haven't i'm getting better but you haven't always got time for people Mm. and you know little dramas and things like that now i'm a bit more like come and tell me about it talk to me about it you know i'm on the mental health journey but we're a community like i said before, communication so it's been a real powerful thing for me doing podcasts you know i've done my first day mental health level three course now as well mm-hmm. you know um i feel like i can talk to friends more and my family a little bit more about stuff and they can talk to me about it and it you know it's massive and i think if we can all just tell each other a little bit more that we're doing a good job that we're proud of each other that we love them and we care for them doesn't matter if you've not spoken in this six months just tell them it mm-hmm. makes such a, a positive thing and and i've probably got a bit more sentimental recently because my brother got married in december and uh, obviously i was me and my other brother were best men
0: congrats pete's brother
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, <For> yeah.
1: <laughs> but lad, he's actually listened to your podcast and always sort of says oh he's a bit good isn't he <laughs>
0: oh, <me> i <neither>. <laughs> like yeah, yeah he's
1: really he's a really good sort of because he just lets you go with it you know mm. um but obviously we've done speeches and there, there were a lot of emotion and there were a lot of you know love and care and, mm. you know, and people coming up to me that are I'd never met, I, I sort of met the bride's mum properly, I had a good chat, and, and and she said, oh, just thanks for the speech, and she says, you know, I need to be a bit better at communicating, and I need to tell my daughters that I love them, and this, and I'm like, that's what it's about, you know, let the people that you care about know how much they mean to you, mm. and I think even the people that need, you know, somebody at work, that there's always somebody that you think, oh, I don't really know them, or they're a bit grumpy, or, you know in your head you you're always moaning about them go over and just say you know what you do a good job mm. or you know can i help you with anything or just something positive and it can make such a difference to people's every day um was
0: such a long way yeah like you said
1: so yeah it's uh like i said I've rambled on a little bit there but yeah a bit of a, a hell of a journey in hopefully i mean at one point i was doubting whether it would make me a better person but hopefully now i'm starting to sort of have a bit more of a positive fulfilling life and start Mm. to put plans in place that i can think actually so all these experiences have shaped me in a positive way rather than a negative way and i can use those experiences traumas highs lows whatever to give me a better life and people around me a better life so
0: yeah and like you said using those experiences in the way that you do um, on social media and with your YouTube channel and, and like you said podcasts and being able to communicate them I'm sure um, if not just help one person somewhere I'm sure it's helping loads of people anyway and like you said you've touched on sort of through talking about your journey um, and the different experiences that you had obviously the the battle didn't stop when you when you left the military, and obviously you spoke really honestly before about your experience of um, PTSD and the other mental health experiences that you've had. Um, obviously, like I said before, if people haven't really um, heard your story or they might not even know what PTSD is, can you just take us through sort of a little bit of that experience and and how you deal with sort of like you said the highs and the lows of that? Is there a routine that you sort of follow each day or? I know you've touched on just then, sometimes it can just come on randomly. How, I, I suppose, how, now being out of the military, so for so long, how how does that look now in your daily life, I suppose?
1: Um, well, like I say, it can sort of creep into, into things. You know, it might be a month, it might be every day, it might be a week, it might be a couple of months. It can just be completely random. It can be, you might be literally washing the dishes and all of a sudden you just feel a certain way. Um, and I've sort of learned in a way that the way I have to deal with it I have to sort of face I have to face it and say how can I make this better for me so a couple of things that I'll do I'll just sort of remove myself for a period of time you know give myself that headspace just to sort of work through that emotion um, and try and put some sort of positivity connected to it and that might mean literally saying right okay i'm gonna have five minutes here get myself together and then go and do something which is probably mundane like wash the pots Mm. but then you've achieved something um at work it can be quite testing especially if you've got you know 20 learners and there's all different power tools going on there's dust and and there's loud noises and bangs and everybody wants to pull you um that can be quite challenging but again you've almost i've almost tried to bring it right back and just do something that's a bit mundane maybe go and explain to a learner how to cut a piece of timber you know or how to use a bit of kit and just try and block the noise um the way i've dealt with it before would be a whole host of ways you know i'm going to the pub you know two drinks would turn into six drinks eight drinks you know mm-hmm. Outcome the cigarettes, um, wake up in the morning with a hangover, feel guilty for doing that. And then you're just in the cycle, and you're not actually, you're not actually owning the emotion, you're just masking the emotion. And, and also with me, good and bad, I suppose I wear my emotions quite openly. So, you know, if if I'm upset or if I'm feeling frustrated it's quite clear it's sort of written all over my face you know so i think it's important that you know if you've got somebody there with you whether that's you know a partner a loved one kids parents friends whatever that they also become part of your strategy to try and just bring you down and help you you know as part of the team and i think We've all got ways that we just need to help each other. Um, The PTSD makes, it can make you very quite compulsive and obsessive as well. So, you know, you'd have compulsions to go and do things, you know, repeatedly. Like for me, I would have like the OCD, so I'd be checking things constantly. I'd look under the bed, I'd check the laundry basket, I'd check the loft hatches, you know i will check the doors were secure three, four, five, six times. Um, you know, I'd throw myself into fitness and do lots of miles, or I'd throw myself into the other end and, and go to the pub most nights. And mm. you know, it, it's difficult to find that balance. And you'd also become very sort of vigilant. Your hyper vigilance would go through the roof, so you'd constantly be suspicious. You'd be in a state of you know, if there's little knock outsides, you're out the window and you're thinking, what, somebody breaking in my van or, I think I've spoke to you about it before. I remember running a while ago and there was a car parked in the woods uh in the middle of the day, you'd probably walking their dog. And I was suspicious of what's going on there. Mm.
2: You
1: know, who, who've they got in their car? You know, and you, your head's constantly like this, even at work, you'd be like, Why, Why's the, where's the student gone? He's gone to the toilet. Yeah, but what's he doing? You know, constantly suspicious of every single scenario and you position yourself in restaurants or bars or wherever where you can see people and yeah. you wouldn't always been engaging in conversation because you're watching two guys at the bar having a pint thinking that's gonna that's gonna kick off at some point
0: yeah you know and is that all linked to obviously when you were in the um military and, and the places that you went to you had to be so alert and you had to be aware of everything that was happening around you
1: I think partly, yeah. I think um, so. The mindset shift through training and all these different places and everything, like you say, you have to be, you know, you're always told to be on the ball, mm-hmm. you know, um, to switch on this. That's what you say, switch on. So you're constantly being in this state of being alert. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and, you, and you're talking about people's lives.
2: Yeah.
1: You know, um, so you, you constantly feel. But the more sort of experience you you got, I suppose, in the military and then through life and as teachers as well, you almost feel responsible for other people as well. So you're carrying out, you're being vigilant for yourself, but others as well. So you're being extra vigilant or you're trying extra hard to do this or extra hard to do that. And it just overtakes, you know, and it's not until you actually talk about it openly that you think bloody hell you don't even realise you're doing it, but then at the end of the night, you're, you're just so drained because you think everyone's out to get you or get somebody else or up to no good. And I'm still, I'm still, I'm still pretty hypervigilant now to a degree, but you have phases. Um, but it's important to talk about it and this is one of the reasons why I started the, the Instagram page and the YouTube mm. channel and doing, and doing podcasts is because it, it helps me but it also might help somebody listening go, Do you know what? I know exactly how you feel. And if talking helps, then maybe I, I need to talk. Yeah. Um, and I think you're really good at, at listening. And I think that's, that's a huge, huge thing. You know, I spoke about it with my friend recently who's, you know, sorry to say he's, his mum's passed away and he's, he's having a tough time. And we're having a real in depth conversation recently about it about just somebody to sit and listen. Is huge.
2: Um
1: and I think um if the person, if there's people that are there that aren't really listening, you never really talk about it. Because what you do is you talk about it, the person opposite you will maybe say, Oh yeah, I've got an experience of that. And mm-hmm. then all of a sudden you've switched off in the blossom.
0: Yes, gone, yeah. So well, I think we said, didn't we, when we first had a conversation on Instagram, we, we we were talking about how important it is to communicate and listen. And especially with your YouTube channel and your Instagram and this podcast. And um, there are people out there that do this type of thing for um, for the number game, as I call it, and to get, you know, followers and all of that. But um, I think that's why we connected so well is that we're in it for, to raise the the sort of the level of importance of communication and and whether we have one person or a hundred across the way, that's, that's the main thing. But um, what's really interesting is obviously you speak about all of your um, time sort of growing up and then into the military and then obviously the career that you've gone to after. Um, So sort of in your daily life now, is there anything that you do to sort of keep that positive mindset and keep that positive sort of attitude? I know, like we've said, a lot of people listening, maybe going through something. Obviously, you just said about your friend there. And we all know people that are experiencing tough times every day, really. So sort of any, I suppose, positive like strategies that you do on a daily basis um, to keep yourself sort of in that mindset of, of positivity, really. That was a lot of positives in one bit, but. Let's
1: <laughs> say positive, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, it, 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 it's kind of evolving in a way, because, um, you know, if you say to somebody, oh, I'll be positive. I don't always think that has the effect mm. because people go, oh, you know, and obviously, what do you mean? You know, and straight away they're on the back foot. Uh, there's things that I've I've recently sort of found out, and again, this sort of stems from probably my brother's wedding. Is if you if you use positive language and fulfilling language, then you cannot help it. You you can't help but feel more positive. So. If, if, you're, if you're struggling, you're in a place and, you know, everything's going against you and think the world's against you and, you know, oh, it's raining outside, you know, this, that and the other, I can't afford my bills, you know, the kids are screaming, you know, the dog's doing this, whatever it is, is, and I think work has a big impact with this as well. The negativity can grow. Mm-hmm. But if you actually say, if you try and put a positive and use positive language, say, well, it is raining, but I've got a rain jacket, so I'm still going to go out for a walk. All of a sudden it's like you're being positive by just using different language and making different choices.
2: Definitely.
1: And then that that rubs off on yourself, and you think, oh, I've just told someone, oh, your hair looks nice today, that positive. And I feel mm. quite good about that. Uh so it's it's almost choice of language, and I think, and a choice of the, the way you think. Um, don't get me wrong, when you're in a, a real sort of dark depressive state, that can be extremely difficult to to sort of channel Um, and i think for me i think if you don't feel that you can actually express that and communicate that to people is maybe just try and, you know use a notepad or like we said before you know write write things down you know say to yourself do you know what there's got to be something that i'm that i'm good at or that i can offer what, what is that and just really search within yourself and try and pull out a positive word, you know, and try and make a, a small positive change, you know, set the alarm maybe, or I don't know, however it's sort of mundane that people might think is make a cup of tea, you know, Yeah, whatever. It never has
0: to be a big thing either. It's, no, yeah, it's like the
1: smallest so. of things mm. um, that can almost have the biggest impact. And, you know, when, when you're at that low, low state, you don't think you're, you're ever going to get out of the hole. Mm. you think it's impossible but all these small changes and it can be minuscule changes that people won't see as really relevant it's it's huge
2: Mm.
1: and if you can start like the two pictures the ladders you've got you know the ladders with the steps that are too big and you have to jump to get on them or the ladders that have got small steps that you can climb easy you know or easier take the smaller steps and then you'll get to the top of the ladder quicker than trying to make these big, massive life changing adjustments.
0: Yeah, we always say as well, especially it's like spot on, really. It's those every little step that you do is it is a one in the right direction. It doesn't have to be. Again, it goes back to the the idea of like society now and social media now and having all, all of these big things and making this. Especially, I suppose, at this time of year as well, where a lot of people are going after the Christmas period, you know dieting or stopping drinking or doing whatever it is it's those little steps isn't it and um I really like what you say about you know finding that positive language um as you know I have mentioned to you a little bit of messages before before Christmas I was in a bit of a place where I was a bit like I don't know where I'm going I don't know what I'm doing mm-hmm. um feeling a bit crap can't find a way out of it and I thought you know what I'm going to have Christmas and I'm going to have the new year I'm going to enjoy that and then even just in these first few days of January just sorting my diet out a little bit making sure I get 30 minutes or so of exercise a day has already made such a big difference and yeah. even like you say even if it's uh, like uh, it like you say it's raining okay well I, <laughs> I've got a coat I've got an umbrella and there it is and it might not work every time but like you said it's something i'm really interested in at the moment actually is ch- really looking at those negative thoughts and sort of like facing them head on but in a positive way if that makes sense so adjusting yep. them so, so that's, re- that's really
1: interesting if you like you say if, if you can get into a place where you're actually challenging your negative thoughts then you, you're in a reasonable place and mm. you can almost treat it like okay okay I'm, I'm being quite negative how can i actually change that you know in, you do you're doing it aren't you you're you're, you're basically managing your own mental health
0: mm.
1: which is if you're in that position you, you know, that's a that's fantastic place to be
0: 100 percent. and like you said as well it, it, if you're in sort of that really dark or, or low place and you don't know um how you can do that or you're listening and going how the how do i become more positive or attack it a little bit better than like we said all the way through I think communication is the first um thing find someone that you you trust or find someone that a friend or a family member um and it is awful like, like I said I I did it just before Christmas and I said to my partner you know what I'm feeling quite crap at the moment um and she just listened and and then suddenly I was like right you know these let's let's try and make a difference so if you are listening and you are feeling Rubbish or levels or going through something, just try your absolute best to you know make that first step of of communication. And like we know, it, uh, social media especially can can be quite a horrible place. But if you find people like yourself, Pete, and and the ones that we know out there, there's a lot of good communities out there that that can help um, definitely. And and like you said, there's a lot of strategies there in in place. Um, moving on to the sort of the last little bit then i suppose of of the podcast um i'm going to throw this one at you because i completely forgot to tell you about it at the start when we were just running through little things that we were going to bring up but you know on let's get talking i always ask my guests for their trip of the week now this is something where a, a little moment where things might have gone wrong or a mistake that's made and it you know it just shows that it's okay to have a have a bit of a bad day or something go wrong it's about how you manage it and move forward now on the previous e- episode with a certain carol baskin she didn't actually have a trip of the week so you're gonna be now the official probably first trip of the week of oh, the yeah. new series because carol baskin bless her couldn't think of one
1: <laughs> <laughs> fair enough fair enough um well oh, no I'll pressure probably, by the way yeah i'll just I'll announce say the first the first, the first day back at work mm. you know um you finish on the friday before christmas you know teaching then you have a you know couple of weeks off eating too many mince pies etc etc first day back at work culture shock you're like yeah wow you know you you forget how hard that you have to work for the job Mm. and for the and for the learners and everything else so i remember coming home last night thinking well you know this is like a whirlwind i'm not i'm not sure about this you know is it is it, Are we having to work too hard? Is it all about work, work, work? Bear in mind, I just had two weeks off. But you're seeing, you know, you're not seeing the two weeks off. You're seeing, wow, you know, I've got to put in yeah. a shift and you're questioning things and all that sort of stuff. And I suppose the way that I sort of managed to channel that and, and give it some worthwhile, positive thinking was, again, I've been like, I want to get my heart rate up every day. So if it's go for a walk, take the dog for a walk, you know, go for a jog, whatever it is, mm. just try and be a little bit more active. Um, so, it was, so I said to my partner, she's got a pony. I was like, she'll go to the yard. You go and, you know, sort the pony out and I'll do a few laps in the field. Uh, and it was quite muddy. And I had my head torch on, you know, it was in the dark. And I was like, this is great.
2: Mm.
1: You know, this, this is what it's all about. You know, you, you do a good job. You know, you, you've had twenty apprentices today who are, are now more prepared towards their final assessment than they were before. So it's about again using that language in your head to say all these things that you're doing for other people and which is fulfilling, but also saying I need a moment for myself mm. uh, and and take the the step forward. You know, in this case, a muddy step but actually just embrace it, embrace the darkness around you. And, and
0: taking it for yourself, like you said. I yeah. think that's such an important thing. Like, whether it's whether you're a teacher or whether you, whatever job you do, um, I think we're so guilty nowadays to, like, whether you come home at, like, four, five, six, whatever it is, and you go – me and my partner had this conversation not long before Christmas, actually, because we used to, like, sit down – Cause we do a few other things as well. You says like sit down on the sofa and eight and then you're like, right, I need to do this, this and this. And then I need to be in bed by this time because we've got work tomorrow. And it's like, actually like, if you want to stay up a bit late and watch a film or something, cause that's what is good for you. Or like you say, if you think, Oh, I'm going to go out for a walk. I did it last night. I got home and I was like, I don't want to go for a walk, but I just got up and did it. And it makes you feel so much better. Um, but no, I think I'm with you on that one about going back to going back to work this week. It was definitely a bit of a shock, but you know, we we deserve two weeks off. So if, if there is anyone listening that and thinking in your head right now, oh well, they're they, they're teachers and they had they had a break. We work bloody hard, so stuff you think that, That's what I say. <laughs> and, and there's a lot of
1: people out there that do work bloody hard, you know. And I always think about the NHS now. Hard they're up to work. Some of, the, some of the things that you know they face every day, that, I think like you hit the nail on the head, it's important that you have to give yourself time for you, whatever that is. Mm. Um, it's important. And sometimes sometimes you've got to go, I can't give any more. I just need to give myself a little bit and take that opportunity every day to have that time. Because I, imp- I think it's important. I think it helps massively. Um, mm. And try and use positive language and positive yeah. thoughts. Definitely.
0: Wow, what a, what a way to finish off I suppose I think the, the most important message is, um, you know communicate, give yourself time, um, don't put too much pressure pressure on yourself. try and look at things in a, in a positive light and remember that um, you're definitely not alone even if you if it, even if it feels like you are. Um, Pete, thank you so much, mate for taking us through all of your journey. Um, I knew it was going to be brilliant because of obviously all the experiences that you've had, but the, the things you've brought to the table in terms of, you know, the strategies and looking at things with that certain positive mindset has been fantastic. So thanks from the bottom of my heart for, you know, being so open with your, your journey. Um, can you just remind everybody before we go, um, I know you said it before, but how they can find you on Instagram and YouTube and everything else?
1: Yeah, so Instagram uh, is show me your war face. I think it's show underscore your warface um and then there's a link to my youtube channel through that that's probably the easiest way or you'd probably type in show me your warface on youtube and it'd probably take you you know a week to find it you know what i mean but um it is called show me your warface there's about 20 i think there's about 20 odd episodes now and it takes takes you through sort of where i was originally um which is is quite haunting to look back on and see how far I've come, Mm. all the way through my military career. There's some episodes on there about PTSD and hypervigilance and all those sort of things and mechanisms. And there's some some really funny stories about the army as well. It's not all like sort of doom and gloom. It's very honest. um, It's very to the point. There's a few things in there that you probably would think you never realised about the military. Mm. Uh, From my perspective, obviously everyone's got a slightly different story. Um but ultimately it's about the community of setting up those things and helping each other helping me and helping helping others and I think like I say your job that you do is fantastic and I think we're, we're all in it together we? and we all share our stories so
0: 100% and uh, please do check out um, Pete's Instagram and especially YouTube if you like real life sort of like watching like I want to say documentary but probably not the right word but you know what I mean in terms of someone just sharing what they've been through um, it's all on YouTube it is like a whole sort of series that you can just watch um, I can remember when we first started talking I think I just sat there on my phone for like half in lockdown like for like half a day just going from one video to the next because you connect them so well so please do check that out Um bit big thanks for your time I know we've gone back and forth to try and sort this episode out but It's done now. I think it's brilliant. So, a big thank you, um, Pete. And hopefully, we will see you all here from you very
1: soon. 100%. Thanks ever so much.
0: So, there you have it, guys. Episode three of series two with the brilliant Pete. Again, a big thanks to Pete for coming onto the podcast and sharing his story and, you know, hopefully inspiring others to keep that positive mindset going and also. Um, knowing that you're not alone in in a lot of different mental health experiences and mental health battles, and like Pete said, he can be found on Instagram and YouTube at Show Me Your War Face. So do go and check out his content. Um, and his story goes into a lot more detail, like he said on the podcast. At time of recording, it is also one year to the day since let's get talking was born 10th of january 2021 is when i came up with the idea and got it out there so it's a year to the day of this episode being released so again a big thank you to everyone that has shared the podcast supported it listened to the episodes um brought some merchandise just got involved none of it could be possible without you lot so a big big thank you hope you enjoyed episode three i'm really looking forward to bringing you episode four next month in february in the meantime as always i'm tom your host of let's get talking keep sharing keep looking out for each other and most importantly keep talking and we'll see you next time